Hello and welcome everybody. SF Live episode 281. And uh, in a few short seconds, I'm joined by none other than Dominic Frisbee. He's a broadcaster, financial writer. He has a newsletter on Substack. He's a TV personality in the UK. And uh, he also gives money advice sort of on the commodity space, but also comments quite broadly on what the Fed is doing, what the US dollar is up to, and much, much more. And I'm quite excited that he gives us 20 minutes of his time today to discuss all that. It's been a busy week in the US. We've had the Fed fund rate. And uh, we've had jobless numbers come out today. We had GDP results come out today. And uh, those were quite uh, worth discussing. And uh, recession is on everybody's mind. we got to talk about that. And uh, I'll, I'll pick his brain on that. But uh, before I switch over to my guest, just a quick reminder, make sure to follow us here on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Hit that like and subscribe button and uh, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you as well. And what, what do you think is going on in the, in the world right now? And uh, how are you positioned? But uh, that, that's it from my end. Let me switch over to my guest and uh, introduce Dominic Frisbee. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, Kai. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a great pleasure. I've, I've recently discovered you on, on Twitter, I have to admit. It's been a while. Uh, I wasn't, I'm a recent follower, I have to admit. But uh, you're really busy in the mining space. You've been one of the first people I've heard about, uh, write about tin, for example. So we're, we're going to get to that. But uh, quite exciting to follow you and advise everybody to follow you at Dominic Frisbee on Twitter. But uh, before we dive into some of your stock picks as well and some of the com commodity commentary, um, I want to pick your brain on what is happening in the US right now. Um, I mentioned Fed raised rates and also the US dollar is quite strong. So love to hear what, what your thoughts on both are. Well, I think you know, people in the US are probably better qualified than me to say, but there are just two big stories, two big narratives, if you like, that have um, emerged over the last year or two. And the first is this extraordinary US dollar strength. And I remember it, uh, talking about the US dollar index. I remember when it was um, 88, 89 um, a year ago in June, warning people that if it made a bottom here, it could rally and the problem if the us dollar rallies is it means that everything else is going down and the us dollar acts in a funny kind of way it does what gold is supposed to do in that it's the first place everyone goes when they're not sure what to do and when they're panicking so um it's where capital that's panicking flies to and we're always taught that it flies to gold but it doesn't it actually flies to us dollar um now there are signs that it might have topped at around 108, 109, where we are now. And, um, but I, I'm reluctant to make big calls. 120 is like the all time high, uh, which we got to, um, I think it was 2000 and 2001, around about then. It obviously got a bit higher in 1985, but I don't think the US dollar index actually existed then. But in the context of history, 1985 and 2000, 2001 aside, where we are now is an extraordinarily high figure. And that's why so many other assets have fallen off a cliff, whether it's tech stocks or metals. Um, in my own portfolio, I actually bought the Japanese yen uh, the day before yesterday. Um, now, the yen has just been so weak. And the only reason I bought the yen, even though there's, you know, they haven't raised rates in Japan or or by any significant amount, I should say, it's just so cheap on a purchasing power parity basis that 
that that's why I bought the yen. But you could say the same about silver at $18, about platinum at $850, about gold at just below $1,700, or I think gold's just above $1,700 now. You know, they're all anti-dollar trades. You could even say the same about the euro or the pound. Um, so I just think where the US dollar goes determines everything else. So that's that's thought number one. And then thought number two is, in many kinds of ways, I cut my teeth in the noughties, 2006, 2007, 2008. And what we saw in reaction to the financial crisis of 2008 was a Federal Reserve Bank and a central banking world that was terrified of deflation, it was terrified of falling asset prices. So every policy uh, that we got from from zero interest rate policies to quantitative easing, they were all geared to fight against deflation, to protect asset prices. Now, at the moment in the US, we've got Biden who continually says his number one priority is inflation. Um, he's blaming inflation on everything from Putin to COVID. The one thing he hasn't blamed is printing money. Um, but so we've got Biden who's saying that, and, and we've also got Jerome Powell who's saying his number one priority is fighting inflation. Now, if it really was their number one priority, rates would probably be going up by more than they are. But nevertheless, they are still going up by more in the US than they are anywhere else in the world, pretty much, or anywhere else in the world significant. And not only are they going up, when they say their number one priority is fighting inflation, you know, my first instinct is to disbelieve everything I say. But actually, there might be a bit of truth to that. And so the powers that be are no longer protecting asset prices in a way that they were that we've got used to, basically. And that's probably one reason why stocks are falling. In fact, it actually suits the powers that be, particularly this year, mid-election mid cycle, if the stock market comes off 20 or 25%, because it slows down the velocity of money, it makes everyone a bit more defensive, a lot of debt and leverage gets paid off. Um, and so it falling asset prices go some way to fighting inflation without the Fed actually having to raise rates to seven or eight or nine or 10 percent. So that's a big dynamic that's changed. The powers that be are no longer protecting asset prices in the way that they were 10 or 12 years ago. That's really interesting. Like I've read your recent article on the Fed interest rate and you, uh, your conversation with a friend you had and he said, well, it has to go to 10 percent to, to sort of reel in inflation. And you mentioned you're, you're digesting that that feedback as well. Like, what would a ten percent interest rate environment look like, as well? Well, like if, especially for it let, would let's be say I'm coming from the mortgage side, for for example, that'd be insane. It it would the, the, the housing markets across the road across the world would collapse, and with them everything else. I mean, the UK housing market is so vulnerable to higher rates. Um, but my the argument of my friend was that inflation is ten percent. Interest rates have to go to ten percent. And and I said to him, the system can't take interest rates at 10%. And he basically shrugged and said, it'll have to. It'll have to learn to. Now, you know, the last time interest rates were hiked up in the dramatic way, Paul Volcker, everyone cites Volcker. But we'd already had a decade of inflation by then. So, and people were sick and tired of it. This inflation narrative is only probably a year, year old, maybe not even that. So I don't think we're at the point yet where interest rates can go to anything like that. And it may be that in inflation as they define it and as they measure it comes down of its own accord anyway. But 
But that's my friend's argument, and I think it carries some weight, especially as he's the most successful <laughs> investor I know. Can, can I interrupt you there? Just, I'm curious. Like, and the thought came to mind when I read your articles. Like, it feels like the, the media has picked up the inflation narrative, but like amongst financial circles, that inflation narrative has been going on for ten years. When you start printing money, like eventually inflation will have to kick in, right? Well, so it if, doesn't feel if, like a completely new discussion to me. Uh, oh no! I mean, anyone who follows gold or Bitcoin or anything like that. You know the printing money narrative. I mean, Bitcoin yeah. was invented in in rea in reaction to printing money. Um, you know, to a gold bug or a sound money guy, um, we would hark back to the old definition of inflation, which is increasing the supply of money and credit with the consequence of higher prices. But now, inflation just means higher prices. They've they've got rid of the uh, increasing the supply of money and credit bit. And in fact, now. You go one stage further. Inflation doesn't refer to house prices, it only or or financial asset prices. It only refers to the basket of goods and services that are in the uh, core price index, um, the core price measures. So, and most of those are things like you know widgets and food and stuff that's prone to the deflationary forces of increased productivity. So, you know, I, I do think it's important to to. Um, define what you need what you mean by inflation before you start talking about it but nobody does and it means different things to different people and that's why um it's an ongoing argument but yeah to we i'm a gold bug i'm a bitcoin bug i'm a hard money guy i'm a sound money guy i'm an austrian guy and we've been talking about printing money since you know forever yeah now like especially in raising interest rates as well it doesn't affect the goods and the services in that basket the cpi basket either theoretically like Tangently, but not directly as well. Right? Yeah, uh, so. you're right. That's and and the irony is, um, like, by raising interest rates, people pay down debt, and debt's how money gets created. So actually, by raising interest rates, you're tightening money <laughs> supply. So inflation no longer means increasing the money supply with the consequence of higher prices it means oh we've got higher prices so we're going to have to r raise rates so it it pretends it pretends shrinking money supply but this is all weird semantic shifts that have gone on over the last yeah. 30 or 40 years do you have a fund rate target at all like yeah i've heard a couple of guests on the program say well three percent or two percent was for the longest time a sort of a level that the fed will never exceed and now we're sitting here at 2.25, 2.50%. Is there a target range before they start sort of reflecting what they're actually doing? I don't have a target, and I'm pretty ambivalent about it. But Russell Napier, who's a guy I follow, um, great stock market historian, he seems to think the system can't take rates above 3%. So I, I can't see certainly in the short term, how they go above 3%, maybe longer term if this inflation persists. The other thing nobody um, factors in is one of the reasons we've had such cheap prices for 20 years has been um, uh, outsourcing um, manufacturing to China and, and to the East, but especially China. And China China's cheap labor costs, it's cheap manufacturing costs, it's effectively exported its deflation to the rest of the world. And, you know, with deglobalization, nobody trusts each other anymore. <laughs> so that's another inflationary uh, pressure. So, you know, it's a, it, that has a huge factor on 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 official measures. I want to circle back now commodities a little bit. And a question, a great question to segue is actually why why is the U.S. dollar such a safe haven and not gold, as you mentioned earlier in your uh, in your beginning remarks there? 
Well, it's just, I mean, I guess it, it just is. You know, it's the reserve currency, it's liquid, it's a huge market, it's just where everyone goes, it's just where capital goes in a panic. You know, it's, it's, it's more convenient to buy US dollars than it is, or, you know, you sell your stocks, you receive US dollars in exchange. You know, you've got to do about three more things if you want to convert those US dollars into gold. It's just, uh, so that's that's what it is. It won't be that like that forever, but at the moment, you know, it, as the reserve currency of the world, it behaves it's the safe haven. Yeah. Gold is actually trending up today, 1745. It uh, actually oh, shot up nice. sharply this morning. I was looking at it at 630, 9 o'clock here. Uh, it shot up sharply. But um, gold, like, how happy are you with the current gold price? Like, seventeen, let's say $1,700. Like, at, at one time, I actually wasn't too displeased because it was hanging in there and the producers and the royalty companies were making a lot of money. Right, and it just showed that we're really active. That that gold's still fulfilling its function, especially in other currencies, like you mentioned, the yen or the U, uh, the euro, even. Right. Yeah. So. Well, if you like, I bought loads of gold back in the day. Um, in would have been two thousand and five, two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Back then, and and over the next few years, I just every time I had spare money that I didn't know what to do with, I would just buy more bullion. And I'm so glad that I did because. There are several reasons. Um, it's really hard to sell bullion. It's a pain in the backside. You've got to, you know, you've got to. It, it just, it's just more hassle than it is selling stocks. So that turns you into a a, a, a strong hand. It turns you into a long-term holder. And you know, we've had Brexit and all sorts of political upheaval in the UK over the last ten years. And you know, you probably don't. In two thousand and seven, you got. The pound was two dollars ten. Now the pound is about a dollar twenty. So it's lost almost fifty percent of its value against the U.S. dollar. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's almost halved over the last ten years. So all that money that I bought gold with, that gold's not far off all-time highs in pounds. Similarly, in euros and yen, it's at all-time highs. So it's been a great hedge against all the debasement of money and the political mess-ups that have gone on and you know you look at cash and people go well cash is is a great um you know you should hold cash and you, you don't want to hold cash when you're losing 10 percent a year to inflation but if you're losing 20 percent a year because the stock market's collapsing or you're using you know 50 percent because you own a stupid gold mining junior gold <laughs> stock well you know, the, you're glad of the bullion because actually bullion's been fairly constant if you measure it against a basket of different currencies. So it has sort of done what it was supposed to. But, you know, I was one of those guys, basically Bitcoin has done everything gold was supposed to do. I was one of these guys that, you know, thought uh, house prices were going to crash relative to gold. I thought, you know, the Dow, Dow to gold ratio was going to go back to one to one and all that kind of stuff. And it just never happened. And it might still happen, but I'm I'm less susceptible to those narratives than I once was. But all the same, I'm still glad I bought gold, and I'm still glad I own it. You, you mentioned ratios. That brought, brings me to a question that I hadn't planned for. But do you look at the gold-silver ratio at all? Is that a I do. Well, I I used to, and I used to think that was going back to fifteen or twenty. You know, that's the natural ratio between the two. Uh, now I'd be surprised if we ever see fifty again. Yeah, we're at 90, I think, right now as well. Yeah. Like, we're really high. I mean, for a long time, 80 or 90 was the cap, and then suddenly it's going north of 100. Yeah. 
That's really high. Because um, you mentioned one of your articles just recently, I, th- I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that silver and platinum are screaming buys, and uh, silver's been a massive disappointment, probably the disappointment of the century so far. So. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, was ever there a metal that has so much going for it as silver? You know, it's a monetary metal, it's an industrial metal, it's, you know, it's a spice metal in the sense that there's a little bit of it in just about everything, it's used everywhere, it's a play on tech. Uh, you know, silver should be $50. You look at the ratio between gold and silver, there's 15 times as much silver in the Earth's crust. 15, 16, 17 is the average ratio, one ounce of silver to one ounce to gold. If that ratio was reflected today, silver would have to be north of $100. An ounce, you know, everything says buy silver, and yet it always disappoints. So, you know, I'm very wary about crying buy silver uh i like silver stocks because you can buy them and you can sell them i've got a load of silver bullion but but uh it's a big disappointment it's painful painful to watch i remember silver fest back in uh february 2021 but uh they call it silver fest the big silver squeeze so i do think though silver at 18 dollars. i mean it could go to 12 i guess if if we get if things get really nasty in the autumn but but silver 18 dollars. that's got to be a reasonable buy you mentioned the fall. Let's uh, use the last few minutes here to give talk a bit outlook as well. Like we talked a lot of like the past, like what has happened to get to the point where we're at right now. Uh, how do you see the fall and winter shaping up as well in in the market? Well, I've been I've been really caught out by what's happened with metals over the last three or four months, and I've managed my risk really badly, and I'm not happy with myself. And um, but you know, you look at copper down over forty percent, tin down fifty percent, nickel. <laughs> I mean, the artificial high—it was an artificial high—but nickel's down eighty percent, and um, it's all because of these. I mean, on top of everything, inflation, consumer belt tightening, fund managers liquidating—all the things we know about—it's also because of these lockdowns in China, which has just just totally put a lid on demand. And, you know, I read that Wuhan, a million people have just been locked down because of four cases of COVID was a BBC headline yesterday, which seems nuts. But until China sorts itself out, metals are in trouble. Um, But there is a sign that over the last month or so they've stabilised. And I'm a believer, I suppose. I venture the theory that this is a mid-cycle commodity correction such as we saw in 2008, rather than an end of cycle commodity um, metals correction, such as we saw in 2011, 2012. And, you know, you do get these 40, 50% mid-cycle corrections in metals bull markets. And and I think this is one of those. And the, the reason I think that is because not enough has been invested in exploration and development for 10 years. We've had 10 years of underinvestment and so the um, new supply isn't there and therefore there are structural shortages. Those have been hidden because of this ongoing panic we've had over the last few months. But as I say, I think if you dip your toe in and you buy copper, silver, gold, tin, whatever it is now, or stocks that are plays on that, um, I think in a year's time, you'll be all right. You, you, you run might have a, new- a bit of an <laughs> autumn of volatility to ride through. But, yeah, you know. I just got to have a... You know, a cable of what is it? A cable of steel of nerves, like really, just like although it's like it's been three, four months now. I think mine are really thin now, the nerves. But uh, I'm sitting it out. I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm massively underwater. Uh, I'm not not a big trader, so I'm still holding my stock positions. Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't done much. 
But uh, I wanted to say, like, you, you write a newsletter, obviously, and you have a couple of stock recommendations. You tell people what you're buying and what you're selling in that newsletter. Is there any name that you could share with us that you're one of your maybe favorite picks right now that uh, you think even even today is a is a, is worth looking at? Sure, I do. In fact, I also, I think all, I can think of loads that are worth looking at. Um, how long have I got? And do you want a base metal stock or a or a precious metal stock? Uh, maybe two, one from each sector, if you have. Okay, so I like tin in the base metal sectors. I think tin, uh, and there aren't that many ways to play tin. And my two biggest tin positions, one is a company called Alphamin, uh, which is listed on the venture uh, under the ticker symbol uh, AFM, if I remember correctly. And that's basically got the world's best tin deposit, uh, really high grade tin. It's just announced a dividend. Um, it's uh, spitting out cash. Um, it produces about 4% of the world's tin. And it's also um, just hit bonanza results at the land right next door. So it's going to be able to expand the resource. And I think that the only problem with the stock is it's in the DRC. Uh, but I think that's going to get bought by the Chinese. So Alphamin, I like. And if you want a tiddler listed in London, first tin, 1SN, it's it's been absolutely hammered since it it IPO'd right at the top of the market. It's been absolutely hammered. It could be a good rebound play. So those are tin stories. Fundamentals for tin are pretty good. Um, but 1SN is a hard rock tin mine, and, and you usually find that the hard rock tin mines go bust when the tin price falls, <laughs> and it's only the alluvial that survives. But because of all this new green tin, it looks like there might be an end to alluvial mining because you're going to have to prove that your tin, if you use it in an electric car, is from an environmentally uh, ESG compliant resource. You know, So Indonesia um, falls off the map there, I think. Yeah, and Indonesia is going to stop exporting its tin next year anyway. I forgot to mention that. I must must. Um, uh, sorry, I, I wrote out, I put out a piece last <laughs> night, and I forgot to mention that. There's a huge factor in the tin price that nobody's factored in. So that's my uh, number one um, two tin stocks, and my two uh, top gold stocks. I'm going to say Manetta Porcupine, which is I think the oldest listed stock on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It trades under the tick ticker symbol ME. It was a lifestyle company for many years. It had a massive resource. Uh, it's come under new management in the last three or four years. The new management have um, taken hold of the land next door through a merger. They have now um, proved 11.8 million ounces of gold inferred and indicated. 11.8. It's an absolute monster deposit right in the middle of Canada in the Abitibi green belt you know old school mining country it's it's there's no deposit like it in a in a it's the biggest deposit undeveloped deposit in north america there's no deposit like it in somewhere as safe as canada and um it's also drilling to expand the resource it's got a pea that's due out at the end of august uh, which is going to show how mineable that gold is i think that pea is going to surprise a lot of people uh, it's trading at something like 10 or 11 dollars per ounce in the ground compared to a peer average three times that and i think it's just an obvious takeout candidate for barrick newmont um agnico eagle uh you know any of those guys any of those majors there so moneta porcupine is one and um, and then my other favourite pick is Minera Alamos, ticker symbol M A I on the venture. 
uh, low-cost producer. First Mind's already producing two more mines coming into production over the next two or three years. Um, it's going to get a re-ranking from to from sort of development play to uh, mid-tier producer. Um, and its market cap will reflect that. Suddenly the funds can all buy in when it becomes a mid-tier producer. Its um, boss, Doug Ramshaw, has got proven track record. He just did a private placement at a 10% premium to the uh, um, stock price, and he put in a million dollars himself. He's just made a lot of money out of Great Bear Resources, which he recently sold. And I think that's as low risk a way of... You've got two things there. You've got one, the 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 fact that it's a junior gold stock and junior gold stocks are oversold and they're due a re-ranking there. And then you've got the fact that it's due a re-ranking just in how it's perceived within the hierarchy of gold stocks themselves. So those are the catalysts for those two. Fantastic. Yeah, and a full disclaimer, I'm a shareholder uh, and hold options in Minera Alamos and we didn't compare notes before recording this. So um, I'm ah. really familiar with Doug. We're good friends and uh, we chat quite often as well. So glad you mentioned it. How did you him. get those options? Uh, well, I, w I was early. I was early. I helped him out on a couple of things. So that's uh, oh, so you just uh, you he paid you in options, did he? Absolutely. So full, oh, man. Yeah. it'll be. I'll mention it in the disclaimer as well. So that's uh, always transparent. I like about some that. of those. <laughs> there were fifteen cent options. I got lucky. It was really early. So yeah. Oh, that and, is good. Um, that's happy a about that. But I also own shares and I bought in the market. Did private placements with him as well. So did you say you sold was it you that that sold all, all your rio alto shares did you have shares uh, the, in rio the rio alto? 2 shares yeah i, I got rio lucky two, like mean, on the day of the news came out uh, i got lucky and got out at 45 cents so i took a very small loss because i held it for like three years yeah and would you buy that stock now i don't know what the plan is yet i've lost track of it the last 10 days so i need to see if uh, they put out something um if they uh, haven't put out anything the story so. is the story is basically kai that that the you know, it's politically motivated, the environmental permitting, and once the law takes hold, they won't be able to stop it. I think that's the story, but, you know, uh, that doesn't mean it's true. Yeah, I like Alex Black as an operator. That's why I held it for so long, and then I liked it as a development story. But uh, when those new when the news came out, I had to sell. So I, yeah. I take my hat off to you for getting out when you did. I got I it. It wasn't a big position, so I was able to get out just the morning off, like yeah. 631 hours out. So... I got oh, you just saw that news release and you were I like, saw it. I was oh. like, I got to run. Especially in this market, yeah. doesn't matter what it is, like it'll be hammered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, you could buy, it's 15 cents now, so you could buy your position back uh, and, and have two-thirds of it. And just wait it out. But, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I might do that in September again, to be quite honest, see what the market does, see what yeah. the direction is. And uh, I think I have a little time before they announce anything new um, out of Chile. Yeah, now, it's, so. it's slowed down, but presumably they can still develop they can still carry on their operations but what a what a blow that was fantastic dominic i really appreciate your time this was great we should do this more often just discuss junior mining stocks and just uh <laughs> shoot shoot the shit so to say uh really appreciate your time and uh, hope to catch up with you again soon and everybody please go uh, visit dominic on twitter at dominic frisbee or go to frisbee.substack.com and subscribe to his newsletter it's a fantastic read and uh, of course, or uh, read the Money Week as well, where you're a contrib contributor. Much appreciated, Dominic, and uh, talk soon. Cheers. Cheers, Kai. Fantastic. Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Leave a comment, leave a like, and uh, subscribe to this channel, obviously. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with more live content very, very soon.